We're going to read two Bible passages this morning. First, we're going to read from John chapter 19, and we will read the account of Jesus being cast outside of the gates. And then we're going to go to Hebrews, and we'll see how the writer to the Hebrews interprets what happens there. So first turn to John chapter 19. We will begin reading in John 19 at verse 16. As Pontius Pilate condemns Jesus to death. And we will read through verse 27 of this chapter. We read this in John 19, verse 16. So he, that is Pontius Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now notice how very easily we can jump over what we read in the account there is that Jesus went out. He went out of the holy city. In verse 18 we read, There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were the mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So there we have an account of Jesus being marched out of Jerusalem. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And in Hebrews 13, we will begin reading at verse 7, and we will read through verse 16. We're going to be focusing especially on verses 11 through 14. But in Hebrews 13, verse 7, the writer to the Hebrews says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's how far we read from God's word this morning. Children, we are a few weeks away from Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That's when the church worldwide remembers the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. As I was driving with my 12-year-old daughter, she saw a sign on a Roman Catholic building that said, We believe in Lent. I don't know if you kids know what Lent is, but that's a time period prior to Good Friday when Roman Catholics historically, for example, would fast. They would not eat any meat. That's why it was terribly controversial at the time of the Reformation when Ulrich Zwingli sat down with some men who ate some sausages during that time period. Very controversial. We perhaps don't go to church like some people do and get some ashes put on their forehead. But we believe, don't we? We say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead and buried, and that he rose again from the dead. And so we also join with the church in this season in celebrating Jesus' marvelous sacrifice on our behalf. That means also that in the near future, your pastor will probably be preaching a sermon on Palm Sunday. Do you kids remember what happened on Palm Sunday? Remember, that's the day when Jesus came into the holy city and instigated a parade. And remember, dads and moms, they cut down palm leaves, and Jesus rode on a donkey. A grown man riding on a donkey... And as he came into the holy city, people laid all these palm branches down on the ground so that his donkey would not even have to step on the road. And men even took their coats off and laid them on the ground. And the donkey rode over that. And there came Jesus into the holy city. Now, what a big contrast that is from what we have in our text today. There Jesus came into the holy city and people were welcoming him. All the kids, too, they participated. The, kings, the kids got involved. The kids were saying things about Jesus so that the Pharisees even got mad at Jesus because the little kids were saying that Jesus was the son of David and the Messiah, and they were saying, Hosanna. So notice there, Jesus was welcomed into the holy city. Great crowds, way more people than are in church today. 
You might say, well, there's a lot of people in church today, but thousands and thousands of people came with their kids welcoming Jesus and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. And now the scene is way different. That would happen on a Sunday, and then on the following Friday, we have Jesus now being marched outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And this time, there's no laughter, there's no shouting. There are some ladies that are walking along that are crying. But Jesus, on the, while he was welcomed a few days before with great honor, they said he was the son of David, the Messiah, now in disgrace as a man who's been condemned to death. He has marched out of Jerusalem. He's being kicked out. On the Sunday before, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were so worked up about Jesus, they said, oh no, the whole world has gone after Jesus. And then now, on this Friday morning, the crowds are saying, crucify him. Condemn him to death. Now, as Jesus walked outside of the gates of Jerusalem as a condemned man, we want to look at what the Bible actually says about what happened and the significance of it. You, of all people, should know about how there are foolish legends that sprang up about the various ways of the cross. All you need to do is go down the road a little ways, And you can go to the shrine. And what do you see there? There are the various stations of the cross. And if you walk along there, you'll see that there's this one lady standing there. And I'm quite sure she has a handkerchief. And they say her name is Veronica. And they say what happened is that as Jesus was walking outside of Jerusalem, this lady Veronica was there, and she gave her handkerchief to Jesus to wash and clean his bloody, sweaty face. And then her reward is that the impression of Jesus' face was left on that handkerchief. Well, that's, that's pure fiction. The Bible tells us nothing of a lady named Veronica. We're not interested in these various supposed stations of the cross. We're interested in the truth and reality of what is happening here as Jesus is getting marched out of the holy city. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us what is happening. He says there's significance in the fact that Jesus is being marched out of the city, and the significance is that he is being expelled from the holy city. He is being cast out of the gates of the holy city. You know, the gates in those days, of course, were the way you got into a walled city. And so now Jesus is being cast outside of the city of Jerusalem, He's not just being marched outside of the gates. He is being expelled from the holy city. And so we look at this passage under the theme, Jesus cast outside the gates. And we'll look at the meaning of that. And secondly, the reason why he is being cast outside of the gates. And then finally, the significance of that for us this morning. The psalmist sang about the city of Jerusalem. David sang about Jerusalem before the temple of his son Solomon was even built there. 
But back in David's day already, he had moved the tabernacle to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the mount on which Abraham had sacrificed Isaac. And David knew that God dwelt with Israel there between the cherubim. And so David sang about Jerusalem. He sang about how it was the joy of all the earth. It was the city of God. Later on, when King Solomon would build and dedicate the temple of God, of course, he would be, he would be stunned by the paradox here. He would say, you know, how is it that the living God, who is omnipresent, everywhere present in the universe, how is it that the living God can dwell in this temple that I have built? Although, if you were there and you saw the temple, you would realize, yes, the temple of Solomon was a wonder of the ancient world, and you would have been amazed by it too. But Solomon realized, how can the God who fills heaven and earth, how can he possibly dwell in this little house? And yet the paradox was that it was the dwelling place of God. So Jerusalem was the city of God. God revealed his dazzling glory there when the temple was dedicated, for example. The glory of God filled the temple so that the priest couldn't even minister there. Later on, remember Daniel? Even though he's a captive in far-off Babylon, what did he do? He prayed across the desert every day towards this city and towards Jerusalem, even though the temple was in ruins. So Jerusalem pictures the city of God. It's the dwelling place of God. The psalm is saying, you know, where, where, who can dwell in God's holy house? Only those who are holy. And so what a terrible thing it is that Jesus is now expelled from the holy city. He has cast out the gates of Jerusalem where God dwells. In the Old Testament, we found things like this happening. Do you remember back during the wilderness wanderings? Kids, you remember the time when Moses, his wife Zipporah, apparently died, and so he had remarried another lady who was from Cush, so she probably was African, perhaps a darker color of skin. And Moses and Aaron rebelled against Moses. And remember how God punished, chastised Miriam. And if she was objecting to the fact that Moses was marrying a woman with a little darker colored skin, God caused her skin to turn pure white with leprosy. And then Moses interceded for her. But remember what happened is that after God did heal her, God said, however, she is to go outside of the camp. If you had leprosy, you would be cast outside of the camp. If you're a leper in ancient Israel, you can live in the city of Jerusalem. She is, and so she was cast outside of the camp. God said, well, if her father had spit in her face, she would be ashamed for at least seven days. So God said she has to live outside of the camp of the Israelites for seven days. So she was cast out. And then there was the man who had an Israelite mommy and an Egyptian daddy, and he got in a fight with someone during the wilderness wanderings, and while he was in the fight, he got mad, and he took the name of God in vain, the name Jehovah in vain. And so you know what happened to him? They cast him outside of the camp. They took him outside of the camp, 
and there they stoned him with stones. So notice in the Old Testament, when a man was excommunicated or was to receive the death penalty, he was put outside of the camp, excommunicated by God. Same with Achan. When Achan stole the accursed thing at Jericho, he was taken outside of the camp and then executed. So what is happening here? It's not like Jesus is just happening to walk outside of the gates of Jerusalem, as he has done many times before. He's been in the holy city. No, this time Jesus is cast out. The Pharisees had said that if anyone even dared claim that Jesus was the Messiah, they were to be disfellowshipped, kicked out of the synagogue, excommunicated. Well, now the covenant nation excommunicates the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the desire of the nations, the great son of David, about whom David said, the Lord said to my Lord. We've just had a kangaroo court meet in the middle of the night. The Jewish Sanhedrin, that is the Jewish court, had decided that Jesus had committed blasphemy. He was worthy of death. And so they sentenced him to death, although they couldn't carry out the execution because they didn't have the sword power to do that. But they basically excommunicated Jesus and said, he needs to be cast out of the city, cast out from amongst the covenant people. And then Pontius Pilate takes over. And even though his wife even gets a dream and warns him and says, have nothing to do with that righteous man, he gives in to political pressure from the Jews. And we read about how he finally just sentences Jesus to death by crucifixion. And what that means is that Jesus will be taken out of the city and executed outside of the walls of the holy city. And so not only does the Sanhedrin cast out Jesus, but Pontius Pilate casts out Jesus as well. But there's even more. The terrible reality is that God casts Jesus outside the gates. What had been predicted in Isaiah 53, there it said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. What is happening is that God takes all the guilt of all of his people and places it on Jesus. And in our place and on our behalf, Christ now suffers in his state of humiliation in which he is guilty. And so God the Father uses Pontius Pilate's decree and condemnation to also cast Jesus outside the gates.
outside the city. The soldiers make him even carry the crossbeam. He probably didn't carry the main part of the cross. It was probably the beam that went across. So Jesus has that on his shoulder, and he is walking outside of the city, being cast out with this instrument of torture, which will be used to carry out the death penalty for him. And as he is walking outside the city, he stumbles and he falls. He can't even carry the crossbeam. And so we're told in the gospel accounts that the Roman soldiers need to draft someone named, named Simon of Cyrene to help carry the crossbeam. There's all kinds of goofy traditions here that somehow he volunteers. No, he's drafted to do that. The good news is that it does appear that this man actually was later saved because later on we have a reference in the Bible to the sons of this man, apparently. But it doesn't help Jesus in some sense that this man is carrying his cross. That is part of Jesus' deep humiliation. Here he is. As the Son of God, he is the one in whom all things hold together. By the word of his power, he upholds the universe. And now in his human nature, he cannot even carry a crossbeam. Jesus has a weakened human nature. That's a very important point. The Orthodox theologians point out Jesus does not have a fallen, sinful human nature, but he does have a weakened human nature. And he has been weakened by the beatings. And so his humiliation is aggravated. He cannot even carry the cross. And so Jesus here is being cast outside of the gates of the city. Now, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that something very significant is happening here. For us, when we read the Gospel accounts, it can be so easy for us to read the fact that Jesus walks outside of the city, that he's marched outside of the city walls, that he goes to the gates and leaves the city behind. Something we can read so lightly. But the writer to the Hebrews takes what happened here very seriously. In Hebrews 13, verse 11, he says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. There the writer to the Hebrews is referring to what happens during the sin offerings in the Old Testament. You know, it's very interesting to read through Leviticus because you find there are sin offerings, there are burnt offerings, there are thank offerings, there are other kinds of offerings, different ones. But there was a sin offering. And the writer to the Hebrews says in Leviticus... We read about the sin offering, and indeed we do. Turn in your Bible back to Leviticus 16, and look in Leviticus 16 at verse 27. This is being talked about in the context of the great day of atonement 
The great day of atonement, kids, is the one day of the year, remember, when the high priest would go into the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant and, and spatter some blood on it. In verse 27, it says, And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. The writer to the Hebrews refers to this fact. In the Old Testament, you know, there were some sacrifices where you'd bring a thank offering, for example, or you'd bring a wave offering and your dad would take part of the animal and even wave it before the Lord, and then it would be time to have a feast, and you'd eat this offering in the presence of God. Your whole family would be there. You could feast and have this delicious meat to eat. But then there was the sin offering, and the sin offering is different. Once the animal was killed, there was some of the blood taken, and the blood was brought into the holiest of all and sprinkled on the blood of the co- on the Ark of the Covenant. But then what did they do? The entire animal, the whole animal, the whole cow, or the whole goat, they would take it and they would bring the whole animal outside of the city. Its flesh, its skin, everything, its guts, everything. They would carry it outside of the city. That's the point being made. It was cast outside of the city. It was unclean. Now there's a contrast there because on the one hand, they would take the blood of the covenant and take that right into the presence of God. And that blood would be a picture of how Christ's blood would pay for our sins. Every time they did this on the Day of Atonement, it was looking ahead to that one great day when Jesus would die on the cross on Good Friday. But then they took the rest of the animal, and one of contrast this is, the whole rest of the body of the animal is taken outside of the camp, cast outside, and then, did you hear what happened to it? It was burned up. It was incinerated. And that was a picture of how Christ would also suffer. It's a picture of how wicked men and wicked devils will be punished in hellfire. We're told that the writer to the Hebrews quotes from Leviticus that says their hides, their flesh, and their offal or their guts are to be burned up. And it's very interesting that the Levites who are, or priests who were involved in this, when they came back from outside of the gates, they had to wash all their clothes again. So what's the significance of this? Why is Jesus being cast outside of the gates? Well, the sin offering pointed to this reality. And in fact, after Good Friday, never, ever again would there be a need for a high priest to go into the holiest of all. That's why, too, on Good Friday, God causes the veil of the temple to be rent from the top to the bottom. That's all done because what Christ has done. Why is Christ cast outside the gate? Because you see, he is the Lamb of God. He is the great sacrifice to which all those Old Testament sacrifices all pointed, whether it's the Passover lamb or whether it's the sin offerings on the Day of Atonement, they all pointed to Christ. And Christ is cast outside of the gates because he is going to suffer the agonies of hell. We say Jesus descended into hell. 
What was outside of the gates of Jerusalem? Well, Gehenna was outside of the gates of the city. That was a garbage dump. That was a dunghill. King Josiah had appointed that this vale of Hinnom outside of Jerusalem would be converted into a dump. And he did that very intentionally because you know what Israelites had done on that site? They had actually worshipped Molech. Did you realize the significance of that? It meant they would, dads and mom would take their kids, probably their little kids, and they would burn them and sacrifice them there to the idol god Molech. I was reminded this past week when there was news about this super rich person making a massive donation of millions and millions of dollars to support abortions. Well, King Josiah said, this place is unclean, and so it's going to be a dunghill, and it's symbolic of hell. Listen to how this dunghill is described in, in Isaiah. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Well, you know, that's language that Jesus would use to refer to the fires of hell. So Jesus is cast outside of the gate because he will descend into hell. During especially the three hours of darkness on the cross, when he cries out that cry of forsakenness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the sun will come out again at three o'clock in the afternoon. And in hell's aftermath, Jesus, well, it's no surprise, he cries out, I thirst. So Jesus is cast outside the gates because he suffers hellish agonies for you and me. And how much do we even appreciate that? We can scarcely comprehend the punishings, the punishment of the damned in hell, and yet God has delivered us from that all. Now the writer to the Hebrews is emphasizing a second reason why Jesus is cast outside of the gates, and that is that he is the guilt bearer. That's the whole context in the passage in Leviticus that he is referring to. Because on the Day of Atonement, you see, they had a scapegoat, which was a substitutionary type of animal for the Israelites. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, Christ is also cast outside of the gates because he is the sin bearer. He is the guilt bearer. In Leviticus 16, verse 21, we read about how Aaron would need to take two goats. One goat would be the one that would be the sin offering, and its corpse would be cast outside of the gates and burned up. But the other goat, the live goat, Aaron was to go and lay his hands on it. And he was to confess the wickedness of the Israelites. And while they were a wicked people, weren't they? Lots of problems among the Israelites. Lots of sins. Lots of rebellion. Lots of murmuring. But that's also the case with us by nature. We as God's people are very sinful people. But the picture here is of all of our guilt being placed on Jesus Christ. 
Christ was made sin for us, which means that he took our guilt upon himself. And that's why Jesus is cast outside of the gates. Because God the Father has taken all of our guilt, all of our sin, and has placed them upon Jesus. And when I think about that, I don't know whether to smile or, or, to, or to have a deep, solemn look on my face. Because, of course, for Jesus, it means tremendous suffering. Pain, agony, and body and soul. Well, for us, of course, it is the love, the sacrificial love of our bridegroom who pays for our sins and redeems us. For Jesus, as he is being expelled from Jerusalem, this is the equivalent of a scourging from heaven. What a terrible thing it is when the elders and pastors in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ need to place someone outside of the kingdom. But something like that is happening here. The religious body of the Sanhedrin has excommunicated Jesus, as it were, and God now imputes all of our guilt to Christ so that Christ now needs to pay for our sins. Even though the Father, of course, loves his beloved Son, always has and always does, even during this difficult time. So how easily we can read the words, Carrying his cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. But that reminds us of a third reason why Jesus is cast outside of the gates. Because outside of the gates is the place where the Romans would carry out public, excommunic- uh, public uh, sentences of death through the terrible means of crucifixion. You know, if Jerusalem and the temple symbolize dwelling with God, receiving his blessing, outside of the gates is a place that signifies the curse. And that very beam that Jesus struggled to carry is symbolic of the fact that he is the curse bearer. What a marvelous thing it is for us, God's children, that God's blessing is upon us always and ever. Even when our Heavenly Father is chastising us, his blessing is upon us. Now Jesus comes to the workshop of the curse. He goes to this little small hill outside of the city where there probably is this beam that's already sitting in the ground. And there he goes to suffer the accursed death of the cross. Paul wrote, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And so in the sovereignty of God, God ordains that Pontius Pilate would sentence Jesus to the method of execution that the Jews are screaming for because God has ordained that Christ would suffer the curse that we deserved. Now, what's the significance of this for you and me this morning? Brothers and sisters, believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is your scapegoat. 
It's like by faith you need to say, yeah, I take all my sins and all my guilt. I'm so embarrassed about my sins, but I place my guilt on Christ, and I'm so glad that Christ has taken my sins upon himself and has utterly paid for every single one of them. Isn't it amazing that when you were justified the first time, the first time you believed in Jesus, you believed that he was your Savior, God has justified you once and forever. Without legal declaration, you were resoundingly declared innocent and not guilty now and forever. What's going to happen on Judgment Day? On Judgment Day, there's just going to be a public repetition of that sentence which has already been made. In other words, our past and future sin and guilt has all been washed away. And because of that, the gates for entrance into the heavenly city have been thrown open because, as we say in our forum for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, because Christ was condemned, we shall never be condemned, and we are accepted by God. God thrust Jesus outside of the holy city that we could be welcomed into his presence. That's why we do not fear death. We know that for us, death is entrance into the glories of paradise. The writer to the Hebrews says, So Jesus, this is in verse 12, he says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Notice the writer to the Hebrews says that Jesus suffered public disgrace as he is kicked out of the city. He is publicly embarrassed. He is crucified almost naked, dies this most accursed death. But the writer to the Hebrews then has an exhortation to us, a very surprising exhortation. Listen to the command. He says, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now that is a very striking command. God says to you this morning, you need to go outside of the camp to where Jesus is outside of the camp. You say, but Jesus is no longer hanging on the cross. Jesus is no longer outside of Jerusalem. But here the picture becomes this. Now Jerusalem apparently stands for the false church. How the nation of Israel has rejected the Messiah. And we're told, okay, have nothing to do with this false church. Instead, you need to go outside and you need to make clear that you are united to Jesus Christ, that you belong to him, that you're willing to suffer with him. Suffer disgrace and public shame. So it's a spiritual going. This is an antithetical lifestyle. When the Antichrist raises his ugly head, it means you say, no, I must go out from amongst them. And I must go out and be with Jesus outside of the gates. I must be willing to suffer personal embarrassment and loss because Jesus is my Savior. It's interesting that back in the Old Testament, we had a little precedent sort of like this. When the Israelites had worshipped the golden calf, it's very interesting what God tells Moses to do. He says, go and take the tent of meeting and set it 
up outside of the camp. Isn't that interesting? So there are all the tents of the Israelites. And outside of the camp, there's God's dwelling place. We need to go outside the camp. In the Old Testament, when you had a sin offering, one thing was clear. When you had a sin offering, whether it was a cow or whether it was a goat, you would never taste any steak or any roast. You would not eat that meat. For us now, though, we go outside of the gate, and what do we do? We feast on Jesus, who is the bread of life. And even little covenant children, as you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you feast on him, you eat him. So we're called to go outside of the camp. And why? Why should we go outside the camp? Well, we're told why in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here the writer to the Hebrews says, you need to be like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who by faith look for another city. They sought a heavenly city. We are not to be caught up with the things of this world. You maybe have a nice home. Maybe you have a nice job. Maybe you have lots of good things. Maybe God has showered you with all kinds of wonderful things. But guess what? We're not caught up with the things of this world. This is not our permanent home. The writer to the Hebrews says, remember, you are a pilgrim. You're just like those ancient Israelites. You're a pilgrim. Just like they were wandering towards the Holy Land. You are a pilgrim too. And when Vladimir Putin, for example, dies, I'm not saying he's a Christian pilgrim, but when he dies, can he take his billion-dollar yacht with him? Can he take his billion-dollar mansion with him? Or all the gold that he has squirreled away? And as Christian pilgrims, too, we know that everything we have now in this world, we will lose. And that's why we need to be willing to suffer loss for the sake of Jesus. And we need to have our eyes set on a better, glorious city. The new Jerusalem. The happiest day of our life will be that great day of the general resurrection, at least up until that point. On the great day of the general resurrection, the Lord Jesus, who triumphed over death on Easter Sunday, will raise all of our bodies from the dead. And then he will create the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and we will enter into that new glorious world. And we shall forever be with Jesus as a washed and a cleansed people. And we will be perfectly loving, perfectly holy. Now that's something to look forward to. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, not only what he suffered on our behalf, but what he is also doing in his exalted glory now on our behalf, preparing a place for us. And we are so glad that our loved ones who have already gone to sleep in Jesus are in their souls in paradise with our Master, and they are experiencing the joys that are forevermore at your right hand. We pray that you would strengthen us in our Christian confession and help us to fight against the world and our sinful flesh and the devils. 
And we bless and praise you that in your great love for us, you ordained that Jesus would be cast outside the gates. In his name we pray. Amen.